weeks ago on Wednesday night, uh, we talked about New Year's resolutions. And not many people here, whenever, whenever I asked if anybody made those, not many of the people that were here that night fessed up to them. So either you didn't make them or you, you didn't want to share them. And I didn't exactly make resolutions. I made some commitments, uh, rather some goals. And I, I set some goals about some things that I wanted to accomplish this year. And one of those things was to read the Bible through in 2014. That's a very common thing for, for Christians to do, to, to decide, I'm, I'm going to read through the Bible. Maybe it's a little bit different than that. Maybe you just say, well, I want to read the Bible more often. Uh, maybe you decide you want to read it every day. I know that Scarlett's been uh, working with the kids, trying to get them to, uh, to make that part of their lives as well. And, and so today I want to talk to you about how to read the Bible. How to read the Bible. My text is going to be out of Psalm 119, so go ahead and be uh, headed there if, if you're not there already. Psalm 119. And before you tune me out, because you may have heard me say, I want to talk to you about how to read the Bible, you may have thought, well, I know how to read, Pastor, so I'm just going to take a nap while you talk. Uh, before you tune me out, I, I, want, I, I just want to tell you that my sermon is not going to get into the nitty-gritty of biblical interpretation. Okay, I, I, I know I could give you a list of, of uh, big lists of hermeneutical principles, the art and science of biblical interpretation. I'm not going to do that today. And all God's people said, Amen. All right. Yeah, I, I could do a lot of that stuff. I, I could, uh, uh, I, and this is applicable to you. You may have said, well, you know, I didn't make any New Year's resolutions. Certainly, I, I didn't make one to read the Bible through this year or anything like that. So this doesn't apply to me. But it does because it will hopefully serve as a good reminder to you on how to read the Bible uh, the way God wants you to. And maybe you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you grew up in a church where they didn't actually give any teaching on how to read the Bible. And so maybe this will help you think about some things you've never just really thought through. Now this psalm is going to look uh, it's going to look at God's Word. So it's God's Word about God's Word. And sometimes the psalmist says, if you ever take the time to read Psalm 119, sometimes he'll call God's Word Torah, which means instruction. Sometimes he talks about God's precepts or his ordinances or things like that. And so it has a common theme, but it's kind of different. Because in the Bible there are different types of literature. This is a poem. This is poetry. But if your Bible is like mine, if, if you look right over verse 1 and then over verse 9 and verse 17, there are headings. Aleph, Bey, Gimel, Daleth, and so on and so forth. Those are letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so what the psalmist has done, if, if you remember back in school, you may have made an acrostic poem, so like you'd write, write the word teacher, and so then every line would start with, you know, the first line would start with a T, the second line would start with an E, and so on and so forth. So the psalmist here has taken all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and every section, each eight verses, is going to start, so like all eight verses, the first eight verses all start with the Hebrew letter Aleph. All the, the next eight start with Bait, so on and so forth. I tell you that because usually I like to read several verses to kind of set the context. This has the Word of God as its focus, but it doesn't build on itself like some of the letters that Paul writes does. Anyhow, so if you would, look at uh, Psalm 119 and stand, if you would. We're going to read uh, starting in verse 9. And uh, we're not going to read the whole, the whole psalm. It's 176 verses. So we'll just read a little bit of it. Starting in verse 9, he says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart 
that I may not sin against you. If you've been to Bible school, that may be familiar. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have told of all the ordinances of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. Deal bountifully with your servant, that I may live and keep your word. Open my eyes, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Okay, please have a seat. We're going to stop right there. So how should we read our Bible? The first way that we should read it is obediently. We should read the Bible obediently. Look again at verse 9. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? And then he answers that question by keeping it according to your word. Now he starts out with a conundrum. How can a young man keep his way pure? It's talking about a purity of life. And you may look at that and you say, well, already this doesn't apply to me because I'm neither young nor am I a man. Um, maybe, maybe you're a, an old woman. Maybe you're an old man. Maybe you should look at this and say, you know, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a young man. But it does apply to you because he's just picking uh, kind of an extreme example out. Think about when you were a teenager. You remember those days? And uh, those, those were passionate days, weren't they? I mean, you just had all kinds of... You, every, if, if you did anything, you did it uh, wholeheartedly. I mean, you were just really gung-ho for it. And so, so what he's saying is, and, and, and he's kind of taking the extreme example, not only is it a day of, of uh, strong emotion, strong passion, but also the days of, of our youth many times kind of set the tone and, and direct a lot of years of our life. You know, some of the choices we make in high school will affect where we go to college. Uh, some, of the, some of the choices we make may, in high school may affect uh, who we marry, different things like that. So he takes the extreme example, and he says, how can a young man who, who, who is going through all this stuff, how can a person like that keep his way pure? And then he answers that question. He says, it's not by experience. It's not by doing all these things. It's by keeping God's Word. By keeping God's Word. Now this points out two important truths. The first is that the Bible is authoritative. Now, that's a great big word. It's authoritative. That means that the Bible has authority over all aspects of our life. That means that the Bible is the final, has the final say on our lives. Let me, let me illustrate. Somebody tell me what this is. A ruler, right? Now, used to, if somebody was naughty, the teacher would go whoosh, and smack their hands, right? We don't get to do that today. We don't get to, no. But this is a ruler. This is a measure. This shows you a straight line. It helps you. It shows how things measure up. This is what God's Word is. It is a measure for our lives. We say, well, this is what I want to do. And maybe maybe your life is wanting to do this. How do you know a straight line? From a crooked line, you have to have an example. God's Word is that example. It shows us how we measure up. It shows us what God requires of us. So we're looking at how we should live. We consult the ruler. We consult God's Word. This is what God requires. This is what we should do. And so it is authoritative. We say, well, I want to do this. Let me see what the Bible says. It'll tell us what God wants. Now, why, why does it have authority in our lives? 2 Timothy 3.16 all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's possible for reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. That the man of God may be, may be perfect, equipped for every good work. It's inspired. That means it's God-breathed. 
And because it is the very word of God, it has, it has an authority inherent in itself. Do you believe that, that the Bible is God's word? Say yes if you do. Good. Because there are a lot of people who don't believe that. Even in churches. There are a lot of people who will give, uh, who will give lip service to it, but they don't really believe it. Because it is God's word, we are therefore obligated to obey it. Now, we don't like the idea of obedience, do we? When we think of obedience, what do we think of? A child and a dog, right? We say, well, I don't, I, I'm not, you can't tell me what to do. We, we, we work with a child to make them obedient. The dog that's always jumping up or being real naughty, take to obedience school. We don't want to think of us as being obedient, but you know what? We must be obedient to God's Word. Now, people balk at the idea that this book that's thousands of years old is telling us how to live as 21st century American Christians. But you know what? It's God's Word. No matter who wrote it, it's the Word of God. Now, many people, and like I said, especially Christians, they will give lip service to saying, yeah, this is God's Word, but they don't really believe it. Or they don't really live that way. Now, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm gonna, I'm, I've made up a couple words I'm going to use in, in my sermon today. Lip servicer is one of them. Lip servicer. What's a lip servicer? Somebody who gives lip service to this idea. How, how do you know a lip servicer? Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? Maybe you said it at some point. Well, I know that the Bible says this, but... Have you ever said that? Well, I know that the Bible says this, but... I know what God wants me to do over here, but... Even though it says this, you don't understand. You don't understand my situation. You don't understand the family I grew up in. You don't understand my work situation, my coworkers, all this. I know God says this, but that's a lip servicer. It's somebody who says that it's the Word of God, but then I mean, aren't we good at rationalizing stuff? I can rationalize anything. I'm on a diet and I want to do it. I can rationalize that sucker. Well, it's got a hole in the middle of it. it. Looks like a zero. That means zero calories, right? Boom, got a donut. Now, we can rationalize anything. We'd say, "Oh, but I've got this going on. I know the Bible says this." But and it will work it around some way. You know, that's not that's not too much different. Remember what the serpent said in the Garden of Eden? Hath God said? He put a question mark after God put a period. He put an exclamation mark. They'll put a question mark. Don't we do the same thing? I know God said this. I'm going to do what I want to anyway. Instead, a proper response would be, I know God has said this, therefore, so I'm going to change my life in this way. See, that's, that's not lip service. That's the real deal. That's really seeing God's Word as being God's Word. People will go along with the Bible, I've noticed, so long as it doesn't make them uncomfortable. People go along with the Bible, so long as it doesn't require them to change their lives. People go along with the Bible, so long as it makes them happy. But as soon as they start tuning that other stuff, well, you know, we have some wiggle room then. And I, I believe what the Bible is saying here in verse 9 is, if you want to keep your way pure this year, if you want to read your Bible correctly, you need to do it obediently. Not obediently to me, 
not obediently to this church, not obediently to anybody else, but obediently to God. What James said, he says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. So then the application of this is, if you have something in your life that's running contrary to the will of God, to the word of God, the Bible calls that sin. If you say, well, I don't, I don't care, I'm going to keep doing it, that should be a warning sign to you if you're a Christian. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need to change something in our lives. Repentance is how we do that. And, and, and repentance is not just saying, sorry God, and keep doing it. Repentance is changing the way that we're acting, changing the way that we're living. So we need to read the Bible obediently. And what's going to happen if we do that? Look at verse 11. He says, Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. If we will, if we will, if we will keep our way, our, our lives, our, our path, if we will walk according to God's word, it's going to keep us from sin. Now, your, your translation may say that he has hidden his the, the psalmist has hidden God's word in his heart. And the word that's, that's, that's rendered here as hiding literally means to treasure. Let's say you're walking along out in the parking lot, your driveway, wherever it is, and you find a 30-carat diamond. What are you going to do with that thing? You're going to pick it up, but first you're going you're gonna to stash that sucker away, aren't you? You're not going to... I mean, you, Did anybody watch Cash Cab ever? Okay, I, I like watching that show, but it always kills me. These people will win hundreds of dollars, and they'll get out of a taxi cab in New York City going, Woo! Waving hundreds of dollars around. I'm thinking, you dummy! You stick that in your pocket, don't let anybody know you got it. Yeah, I would too. And that's what that's what we would do if we found that diamond, wouldn't we? We wouldn't be going, Woohoo! Look at me! I'm not going back to work! Yeah! I mean, we might do that in our hearts and our minds. We might do it once we get home, do a little dance. But what do we do first? Ain't nobody seen that, right? I, I better get out of here. I, I can skip service today. I, God will understand. Right? We stash it away. We hide it away. Because it's valuable. It's a treasure to us. And that's what the psalmist says. He says, your word, I've seen it. And it's like this precious gem I found. And I've stashed it away. I've hidden it in my heart. It's valuable. And when we do that, it'll keep us from sin. God can use that to keep us from sin. Where do we have the Bible? Or where we have God's Word? We have it in the Bible. But I'm afraid many times this is the only place we have it. We don't have it in our heart as well. We need to have it in our hearts. So read the Bible obediently. Second, we need to read the Bible meditatively. Well, that's a big word too. Verse 15, here's what it means. I will meditate on your precepts in regard your ways. Let's talk about meditation. Now there's a big push today, you, you probably are aware, for things like Hinduism, yoga, things like that, Eastern religions that focus on meditation. And what, what do they strive to do with meditation? To empty your head. Now, I've never understood that. I'm, I'm going to focus on trying to be an empty-headed person. I don't get that. Bible meditation is not emptying your head, it's filling your head. Filling your head with the Word of God. And the Word that's used here to speak of meditation means to talk to yourself. It means to murmur. Now I can say this because I sometimes talk to myself. This is one of the few times you can do it and not be crazy. 
It means that you mull it over. You're talking to yourself about the things of God. And we all have that internal monologue. Aren't you glad nobody can hear it? Well, I'm, you know, you see whoever, and boy, you're, and you can just see the wheels turning sometimes. There's that internal monologue going on. It's thinking about the things of God, but also sometimes even talking about it out loud. How's this going to look? Well, maybe, maybe you get up in the morning and you've decided to read through the Bible. You're going to start in Matthew because, boy, Leviticus and Numbers, right, one right after the other, that's, whew, that's like the, as somebody said, the, uh, the reading through your Bible widow maker, I think is the way they termed it. I mean, it's just the one-two punch. So I'm going to start in Matthew. I've got to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. I've read the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. And all these different things. And I've read that last one. And I've read all of them. Okay, and I'm driving to work. And I'm thinking about the Beatitudes. How am I going to live this today? Well, I don't really know. The meek. I'm going to try to be meek today. Lord, help me be meek. We get to work and we've got that one jerk that works in our office. And I mean, he's the one that he doesn't have any use for Christ. He doesn't have any use for Christians. He says God doesn't exist. And boy, as soon as he, as soon as you see him, he starts saying, "Oh, you're one of them. You, you, uh, you think you're better than everybody else, don't you? You just, you think you're going to heaven, and everybody else is going to hell. Well, God's not real, and and, uh, and this life is it. And all you Christians are, are hypocrites. You're just a goody two shoes. I mean, he's just saying all sorts of stuff about you. And what do you do? Well, you open your mouth and you're getting ready to let him have it, right? But before you do, the Holy Spirit brings that thing to mind. Those Beatitudes. You say, boy, whenever he, whenever he takes a breath, I'm going to let him have it. But then you start thinking, oh, but Jesus said, ah, blessed are you that have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and, 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 and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for greater reward in heaven. For so they treat the, the prophets who were before you. And you start thinking of all these things. And that guy who's insulting you that made you so mad before, you say, hey, Jesus said if people do that to me, my, my reward's great in heaven. Hey, you can keep that up. You're just adding, you're just adding to it in the afterlife. Come on. It, all of a sudden, you don't feel like getting back at it. Maybe one day you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I know you all have never done this. You wake up on the wrong side of the bed and everybody just rubs you the wrong way. I mean, they just look at you and you jump down their throat. And you're trying trying to pray and have your quiet time. You read the book of Proverbs. And it says something about uh, in the multitude of words there once not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Oh, I should be quiet today. Mm, especially today, because I'm kind of grumpy. Well, that may keep you from saying some things that you regret later. So what this is, is, is you're thinking about the Word of God. You're even talking to yourself about it. It's kind of like, I made chicken tortilla soup the other day, and it wasn't very good. I never made chicken tortilla soup before, but I thought about all the chicken tortilla soups I've had. And I said, well, these ingredients are in it, so I'm going to just put these in. This would, be, this would be good enough. And I even found a recipe that basically said what I wanted to do. So I, I made all my stuff, and I put it in my pot, and I had the heat on just basically long enough for it to get warmed up, and that was it. Then I ate some of it, and it wasn't very good. And I hate to waste food. I mean, I just can't hardly stand throw food out. 
So I put it in the fridge, even though it wasn't any good, and I thought, well, I'll just eat a little bit of it. Each day I'll eat a bowl of it before too long we have the pot eaten. And so I put it in the fridge. The next day, still wasn't great, but it was a little bit better. The next day, still not very good, but it was a little bit better. But by like the third or fourth day, man, all that stuff had, all those flavors had, had blended there sitting in the, in the fridge. And by the third or fourth day, the last day, it actually was pretty good. And I, I decided, you know, that was a decent recipe. I just need to simmer it a little bit. I need to let it sit on the back burner and cook on a low heat so all those, all those flavors fuse together and it's real good. That's kind of the picture here. You get that Word of God into you, and then you just let it simmer for a while. You just let it warm up, and you just let it sit there on the back burner. And maybe you're not, you know, you're not quoting Scripture all the time, but as you meditate on God's Word, it becomes part of you. And that'll change who you are, it'll change the way you think, and therefore how you act. We need to read the Word of God meditatively. And finally, here's another one of my words I've made up. We need to read the Bible illuminatedly. Illuminatedly, that means we need to read the Bible with the Holy Spirit helping us out. He needs to illuminate our hearts and minds. Look at verse 18. It says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Isn't that a lot easier to understand than illuminatedly? Open my eyes. We need to read the Bible with our eyes open. We need guidance from the Holy Spirit. Why? Because truth is spiritually discerned. Many times we'll read the Bible through through lenses of our own prejudice, our own biases, our own, uh, our own desires. We all have our rose-colored glasses, and the, and the Holy Spirit will help remove some of that. But more than that, if, if you'll notice, he says, Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. This is it's talking about applying it to our hearts and lives in a way that we can't do on our own. It's whenever you're reading the Bible and you say, Aha! Ah, that's how that works. Oh, this intersects with my life here. Who do you think's doing that? You think the, the, the devil did that? No. He's not giving you insight into God's Word. That's the Holy Spirit. We need to be seeking His guidance whenever we read the Scriptures. Now, I just want to caution you. Don't think that because you're, quote-unquote, depending on the Spirit, you don't have to do any work in understanding the Bible. Because I will tell you, there are some challenging passages. Now, I'm sure none of you want to live with the preacher, ever. I feel sorry for Scarlett because she has to. But I also feel sorry for myself sometimes because anytime she comes across a passage that is a little confusing, guess who she calls? She calls her preacher. Jeff, come in here. Okay, what? And I know whenever I hear that, come in here. I know I'm either in trouble or I've got to explain something. What do you think that means? Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'll look in my, my commentaries. Learned, learned men, they've got more letters after their name than I have in my last name. I mean, they're just, they're, they're sharp. Now look at them, guess what they say? Some of the, some of the pastors, most of them, uh, uh, we can understand, but some of them we're just not 100% sure. There are some difficult, challenging passages. Some of this stuff is not really... It, it, you have to dig into it a little bit to get all the all the good out of it. Anybody watch those shows on mining for gold and stuff like that on Discovery Channel? Anybody? I've noticed that some of those guys, I mean, they'll, they'll move tons and tons of earth 
to get just a little bit of gold. And they, I mean, sure, they may pan for gold. They may get a little bit out of the, out of the river or something like that. But the real gold is found whenever they're moving tons of earth. Same, same thing in, with, with gems. Yeah, there's some precious stones that may be laying on top of the earth, but most of them are buried down deep. Same thing with the Bible. There are a lot of gems right on top. A lot of stuff you can get. A lot of those real valuable, those, those nuggets of truth we sometimes call them, sometimes you have to dig in there a little bit. We have to mine them out. And in doing that, we need to we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us understand God's truth, to help us understand His Word. I saw a quote that was attributed to Ben Franklin this week. I don't know if he said it. If you if you believe a lot of the books and websites, Ben Franklin said a lot, and I'm not sure he said all of it. But one of the things that I saw was attributed to him was this quote. He said, How many observe Christ's birthday? How few his precepts. How many observe Christ's birthday? How few his precepts. And you know, that's that's sad, but it's true, whether Franklin says it or not. We don't obey. It's not because we don't have access to God's Word. We don't have access to what God wants us to do. We don't have access to Christ's precepts. We disobey because we refuse to accept the Word of God as being the Word of God. We are rich because we have the Bible. You realize there are people, there are Christians who don't have the Bible. We've got it all over the place. So it's not because we don't have it. It's because we're rebellious. And God didn't give us the Bible for education. He gave it to us for transformation. He gave it to us to change our lives. Be obedient to it. Don't try to make God's Word fit your lifestyle. So many times we do that. And we say, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to find a verse to support it. Like that, I heard about a woman who came to a preacher said, I'm, I'm getting a divorce. He said, why? She said, well, Paul told me to. What? Paul told me to. He said, put on the new man. Put on the new man. I mean, we, 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 that, that's kind of silly, but that's what we do. We try to fit God, make God's Word fit our lives. No, make us fit. Fit God's Word. Meditate on it. Think about those things of God. Don't just don't just read it and let it pass. Read it and do it. Mull it over. And ask God to illuminate your heart and your mind. Ask Him to show you some stuff in Scripture. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? As you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. A moment ago, I mentioned that um, there are some tough things in the Bible. There, there are some tough things. But somebody as well said, the main things are the plain things, the plain things are the main things. Meaning what God wants you to know, it's right there, easy to see. How does God want you to live? It's called the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions. God wants you to be saved? Yep. How do you know? It says, For God's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's pretty plain. How do you do it? All, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a plain thing. And it may be that you've never called on the name of the Lord. Today's the day you need to do that. Today's the day you need to put your faith in Christ.
you, as you pray, I'd encourage you to examine your heart. Because while I was preaching about obedience or, or something like that, my guess is that if you're like me, there's probably something that came to mind that's like, I need to do very better in that area. I'm, I'm, I'm failing in this point. Listen, I'm, I'm not saying this like I've got it all figured out because I don't. Then there's forgiveness. But our goal should be not to be sinning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we fail so many times to live up to the standard that you have in your word. And we know that John said he's written these things that we might not sin, and yet we look at our lives and even even today on Sunday on the day we're come to hear your word to read your word we've, we've all sinned in some way the thing that we've done the thing that we've said the thing that we've thought Lord I ask you to help help us do better forgive us of our sins Help us to not just say we're sorry, but to make those changes that we need to. To really repent. Change the direction we're on. Help us to read your word, to think about it, not just uh, see it, but to see it and, and try to live it. Incorporate it into our lives. Lord, help each of us understand your words so we can do better. Lord, I pray for each person here that has some decision to make because we all have a response to you. That Whatever that response is, I ask that you would help us all to make the one that we need to. In Christ's name.